This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to Jesus said to the disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment, and you, if, ins if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, You fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. I can see you all out there with bated breath saying, what's he going to say about that? So I'm going to start instead by telling a joke. An engineer, a physicist, and a lawyer all die on the same day and find themselves in line outside the pearly gates. As they approach the entrance to heaven, they are greeted by St. Peter. Peter says to them, we just have one very simple question for you to gain entrance to heaven. The question is this, how much is two plus two? The engineer is first in line. She leans over to St. Peter and whispers, confidently in his ear, four. And as she does, St. Peter waves her into paradise. The physicist then approaches and gives the same answer. You see where this is going. Please come on in, replies St. Peter. The lawyer is last in line and is asked the same question by Peter. How much is two plus two? The lawyer looks over one shoulder 
and then over the other, and leans forward to whisper into St. Peter's ear, how much do you want it to be? <laughs> now, as a recovering lawyer myself, I feel I have permission to share this laugh at the expense of my former profession. I know there are some other lawyers in the crowd here, so forgive me. But I do so today because our lessons are very much about the law and are about our relationship to it. And this joke, while corny to be sure, has a kernel of truth to it. Human beings have a deep-rooted tendency to try to work around the requirements of the law and to take matters into our own hands. We see the law as something that is imposed upon us from the outside that prevents us from doing what we'd like to do or want to do or think we need to do. Moses' prophetic career, which is the subject of our first lesson from Deuteronomy, is a classic illustration. Having received the Torah from God's hands and being commissioned to lead God's people through the wilderness and toward the promised land, Moses spends most of his time and energy watching the people rebel against God. Every time it seems that the people get hungry or thirsty or weary, they set aside what God has told them, believing that they know better. All of this comes to a climax in our first reading, which comes near the end of Moses' life, knowing that his time is almost up, in this farewell discourse, Moses gives an impassioned plea on behalf of the law, on behalf of Torah. Living in accordance with God's law, Moses says, is a matter of life and death. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live. But if your heart turns away, and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. At the core of Moses' message are three deep theological convictions. First is the insistence that human flourishing requires turning toward God alone, depending upon his loving care and trusting in nothing else. Time and again, human beings are tempted to rely on their own counsel, their own desires, their own sense of what is right, but that way lies folly. God is our only reliable guide. As the psalmist says, happy are they who walk in the law of the Lord, who seek him with all their heart. Second is the conviction that Torah, far from being a set of restrictions on our freedom, is in fact a life-giving framework that allows our freedom to find its healthiest expression. Law is blessing, not curse. By loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength, by loving our neighbors as ourselves, and by otherwise aligning our lives with God's law, we find our truest identity as God's children. 
And third is the conviction that the law is not primarily a rule book for individuals, but rather a constitution for a whole people. Ever since the Enlightenment in the West, ever since Descartes' cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore, I am, there has been a shift towards individualism as a basic philosophical orientation. Yet the biblical perspective is otherwise. It is a people, a people with whom God covenants. It is a people to whom God gives the law. It is a people whom God saves. Our salvation lies in community, not in self-reliance, not in individual accomplishment. In short then, says Moses, to choose life means to love and depend upon God alone, to view Torah as a life-giving blessing that allows human freedom to flourish, and to know that we are intended to live in community and not in isolation. Now as Christians, of course, Moses' view of the law, as rich and right as it is, is not the last word. And so we turn to our gospel and another section from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That Jesus gives his sermon on a mount, reminiscent of the giving of the law to Moses on another mount, is of course no accident. Jesus is the new Moses, the new lawgiver. Jesus comes, as he told us last week, not to abolish the law or the prophets, but rather to fulfill them. And so Jesus does not set aside what Moses has done and said, but instead Jesus takes us deeper into the very heart of Torah. The specific examples Jesus takes up in our text were undoubtedly problems that confronted Matthew's church. Problems of anger, adultery, divorce, breaking promises made under oath. These challenges, of course, are ours too. Underlying Jesus' treatment of each of these issues is the basic insight that what ultimately matters to God is right relationship with others, not merely complying with behavioral norms or legal externalities. It is not just that we should keep from murdering our neighbor when we disagree. We should learn affirmatively to love and be reconciled with her. It's not just that we should avoid adulterous behavior. We should learn to cherish all covenanted relationships and honor one another as God's children. It's not just that we should avoid using God's name in vain. We should treat all of our promises as if they are sacred commitments. In short, Jesus is inviting us to view God's law not as an external code of conduct, but as something that is written on our hearts, something that is very integral to our being. Well, if you're like me, your reaction to all this is a little bit of fear and trembling. <laughs> on the surface, it seems like Jesus is asking the impossible of us. I mean, really, don't be angry. Don't have thoughts that you regret. Treat everyone all the time as children of God. 
it sounds like he wants us to be perfect. And the truth is, he does. But here's the saving grace. The saving grace is Moses' third point. We are not called to be perfect as individuals. For as individuals, we will certainly miss the mark time and time again. Rather, we are called to be perfect within the body of Christ. And it is through and only through our participation as a community in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus made possible in our baptisms that we are able to become citizens of this heavenly realm where right relationship with God and neighbor is perfectly possible. Whereas under the Mosaic law, God's people endeavored to live out God's law by adherence to the 613 commandments of Torah, for Christians, that very same Torah has been embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And he has taken it upon himself for our benefit to become the perfect fulfillment of holy living as God's chosen one. So don't be disheartened if in your individual lives you fall short of the holy life Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount, because we all fall short on our own. The good news to keep near your heart is this. By prayerfully organizing our lives around Christ's teaching, by encouraging and supporting one another in our common life, and by participating in Christ's life through the sacrament of bread and wine that we are about to share, we are able, through grace, to become the redeemed people and beloved community God desires us to be. And we do this not just for ourselves, but for the wider world, as we humbly seek to model as best as we are able, the alternative vision for humanity Christ describes in his Sermon on the Mount. It turns out this is the primary vocation of the church. The primary vocation of the church is to lift up the person of Jesus Christ himself, not Christianity, not the Lutheran church, not some social agenda, not some political cause, but the person of Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.